0: inner spaciousness. In this episode, Eckhart talks to a live audience about bringing meditation practice, or what Eckhart calls presence, into our everyday lives. However, he cautions against making meditation one more chore on our to-do list. He says, so often there is the underlying assumption that we must become good at meditation or succeed at it. That in itself can actually become a hindrance. The idea is not to do meditation, but to be.
1: Many of you probably have a meditation practice. As you know, I don't usually talk about formal meditation, but it's wonderful if people have a formal meditation and practice it. This is more about bringing the so called meditative state into your normal life presence. Meditation is an attempt to become present. Sometimes it works, and sometimes it remains an attempt for years. (laughs) And you can become a good meditator by sitting for an hour every day, and all you're still doing is attempting to become present. Meditation can be helpful. It can also become an obstacle to being present, because almost inevitably, when you meditate, you have this underlying assumption that you are doing something, you're doing a meditation. And in that doing the meditation, you're trying to get somewhere. For example, trying to become still. And so trying to become still is having projection of a future place that you want to get to. And there's an underlying sense that you are doing something. you could even put it in your, Schedule, you can say at such a time you're meeting someone, meeting, committee meeting at 11, meditation at 12. (laughs) And so there's just another doing. Whereas the, the true meditation involves no doing, but simply the essence of it is the realization of being. So you can relinquish all doing. When you have a meditation technique, which may be helpful, but if it's not used rightly, it becomes part of your doing. And then it can actually stop you from the realization of being, which is already here now. Nothing needs to be added to you to realize that you are now, to realize your own being. So often when you meditate, the underlying assumption is that something needs to be added. You need to become good at it. You need to succeed at it. And that in itself becomes a hindrance. So in Zen, very often, they don't give you any technique. They just go, now sit here, and you you won't get up again for three hours. So, and then you say, well, what do I do? Just sit. In Zen, when when they use the word sit, they usually mean meditate. So when you arrive in a Zen monastery, they greet you and they might say, how long have you been sitting? Oh, I've been sitting for 15 years. And then when you sit in Zen, there may be other similar traditions. It's not comfortable because it gets very painful for the body unless you're extremely flexible, which I'm not, and most people are not. So if you sit for two or three or four hours or all night facing a wall, they love doing that. (laughs) Uh, And then they open the windows, although it's freezing cold. So, they create very unpleasant conditions for your meditation. And not only that, the instructor or master may walk around and hit you when he sees that you're dropping or falling. You suddenly feel with a little cane on your back. And then you have to thank him. But they don't give you a technique as such, they just watch, you might say watch your breasts, but really even that often they just say, just watch what arises, thoughts and emotions will arise. And the longer you sit, the more powerfully thoughts and emotions will arise, and the thoughts and emotions will say, get me out of here. <laughs> How could I have been so mad to come here? (laughs) And then you start thinking about what excuse could I give? (laughs) I could pretend to be really sick suddenly. (laughs) 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 So in other words, they create conditions that are designed, one could say, almost to produce suffering without actually injuring yourself. They don't go that far, but they are conditions designed to produce an enormous amount of suffering. And so you sit there facing your own suffering and an enormous amount of resistance. And then if it works for you, at some point you come to the realization that the unpleasant conditions, which include pain in the body, on various parts in the body, that your back, your legs, you're feeling cold and you're shivering. Maybe you've hadn't hadn't had a satisfying meal in a long time. So there's some hunger, not extreme, but there's hunger, there's pain, there's cold, and there's nothing to look at, just a wall. And so at some point you realize that the suffering is not produced by the conditions, which cannot be described as pleasant, but are as they are. But the real suffering is the resistance to the conditions which happens on the level of thinking plus emotions that reflect the thoughts. So you become aware of yourself as the resisting entity and realize when you, you come to a point where you can't stand being there anymore, then either you leave or you break through to surrender and you suddenly let go of any thought about it. And then the emotion subsides too. When you're no longer telling your body that this is terrible, then eventually the emotion that reflects the thought that this is a terrible place to be, then the emotion also subsides. And then all that's left is the conditions of that moment, which are pain in the body, pain in the neck or wherever else, and cold, some hunger, there you are. And then it's possible to break through to a deeper level where suddenly, despite the conditions of that moment, you feel peace, because your mind has stopped commenting in any way. Your mind is not even trying. If your mind is saying, this is really good for you, you should be liking this, that doesn't really work so your mind is not trying to go to the opposite from where it was first, where it said, this is awful. That your mind simply surrenders completely. And so that it doesn't say anything anymore. <laughs> and this is to repeat something that can happen to a human being naturally by being faced with the challenges of life, which can pile up. And your life situation, as I call it, which means all the circumstances of your life can become so unpleasant and painful that you can't stand the suffering anymore. And that is a wonderful point to reach, not being able to stand the suffering anymore. Because at that point, you may realize not just conceptually, but deep to every fiber of your being, that the suffering comes from the resistance. The resistance happens on the level of the mind. And so it happens to people naturally that when faced with unpleasant life situations, they suddenly can't stand it anymore and something in them surrenders, which means the mind subsides. And without the mind creating thinking, all that's left is really the present moment. And that's that's the awakening into the present moment, which is more likely to come when things are not going well then when everything is totally fine. So you may be at a point, most of you, where you don't need the suffering anymore to be pushed into surrender because that's what life is trying to do. It gives you all the challenge and eventually you have to surrender. But there is another way, and perhaps you're here because you've already had enough suffering you can voluntarily choose it even without having to be pushed into surrender through suffering. So you can choose to relinquish thought, for example, which otherwise a human being would always do, and even then only a minority would only do facing extreme conditions in their life. And here, some humans have reached this, the level of consciousness where they are they no longer need to be faced with extreme conditions. Although if you were, and if if you are here because at some point in your life you were faced with extreme conditions, then obviously that's a wonderful thing because that brought you here. And now here you realize for the further evolution of your consciousness and the emergence of presence through you, you don't need more suffering because you now voluntarily are able, and this is the evolutionary leap forward for humanity, when a human being can do that, can relinquish thought by choice and simply say, I'll be present now.
0: You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu.
1: And you can let go of resistance if you still notice resistance arising in certain conditions your life, you can very quickly notice it. Anytime you get upset about anything, that is actually quite helpful. Don't fall into the trap of thinking, why am I getting upset? I should be spiritual enough not to get upset about these things. (laughs) Why have I been going to all these classes and workshops? You know, the, the voice in the head, you can talk to yourself but why do you still do that? And then the other of you says, well, um, I'm trying, I've been trying. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other one says, well, you're not trying hard enough. (laughs) (laughs) And then at some point you realize it's the voice in the head that this time has split itself in two as I believe in one therapy modality, it's called the top dog and the underdog. And so you have a discussion with yourself. One says, you, and the other one, yeah, I couldn't help it. (laughs) 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 But of course, it's it's the voice in the head. And even having that inner dialogue with yourself is a form of suffering. It's an inner conflict and it's simply produced by the voice in the head, which sometimes seems to be two voices in the head, sometimes even three. And sometimes, of course, as you well know, sometimes the voice in the head is your mother's voice. (laughs) Eat your vegetables. (laughs) Uh, But that would be relatively harmless, but it says many other things probably. But whatever voice it is, it's the voice. So you recognize when you get upset, you recognize the mechanism behind it. It was resistance, mind, mental, emotional, resistance to the present moment, you lost presence. And at that moment, when you notice upset, any kind of upset, that can be a little alarm bell and says, oh, you lost the present moment, you lost presence. And at that moment, you can have presence. It's here already. So becoming upset can be very helpful if you know how to use it. If you don't know how to use it, then the upset is something that is unconscious and operates in you and makes you unconscious. But if you know how to use it, it's very helpful. Can always bring you back into the present moment and acceptance of the present moment. And it's amazing what things people get upset about. Many very unimportant things can create upset. You might have noticed. (laughs) But at the moment of being upset, you don't know that these are unimportant. They seem to be overwhelmingly important. The tiniest things can become overwhelmingly important. (laughs) So what you are growing into is in any situation that you encounter, not to be exclusively focused on the situation, but to have some focus, some awareness at a deeper level. And you might, as you know, when I say awareness, at that deeper level, you are not aware of anything on the outer level of your life, you're aware of whatever goes on. Usually in normal usage, when you use the word aware, you say, aware of what? You can't use the the word aware without saying aware of what? You sometimes read in, in newspapers and so on, increasing awareness, but it's usually followed by about certain issues, increasing awareness about the environment, increasing awareness about climate change, increasing awareness about what we need to do in education. And all this is wonderful, the increasing awareness about all these things. So in the, all the various situations of your life at any given moment, your awareness is aware of whatever goes on around you. Then uh, that is not enough. Awareness of what gone around you you need to be aware of at a deeper level of the awareness itself. You need to be aware that you are aware right at this moment, for example, you're aware of my voice, you're aware of this room, you're aware of whatever sense perceptions you can now register in your consciousness. But at the same time, this wonderful thing is possible. That is, you can be aware of awareness. In other words, you realize you are conscious that you are conscious. This is the one fact in your life that is beyond any doubt because it is so obviously the case. Right now, you are conscious. And even that may be a distortion that happens through language because there is no real you apart from that consciousness. So if I express it verbally, and if I say you are conscious, or if I say I am conscious, but this language operates like that, but even that is a slight distortion, because that implies that I and conscious are two things, but the essence of who I am, apart from consciousness, there is no me, there is no I. It would be nothing. Consciousness is who I am. So it would be more accurate to say, I am consciousness. That is who you are. And to realize you are consciousness is at the same time a realization of this vast realm of inner stillness because that consciousness is the unconditioned consciousness. It is just vast spaciousness and great depths. I am consciousness after you say it, how do you know that you are conscious or you are consciousness? It's so obvious you cannot possibly doubt it. This is the one fact about your life that you cannot doubt because all the rest may be a dream. There's no way of proving that us sitting in this room here now is a dream that you are having. There's no way of disproving this is not a dream. This may be a bit, and many philosophers and have looked at ordinary human existence and described it as dream, dreamlike. In many ways, it is a kind of dream because what does a dream do? It, it appears and then suddenly it's gone. And the situation too, it appears and then next week it'll be gone. <laughs> and, and then you might wake up one morning and say, the retreat, Asiloma, was that a dream or did that happen? So this may be a dream, but even if it is a dream, it still applies that you are conscious in that dream, right? Now, if you were not conscious, there would be no dream. Nobody could have a dream. The dream could not appear. (laughs) So it becomes irrelevant whether this is so-called reality or so-called dream. The actual reality is that you are conscious whether it's a dream or reality. Consciousness is still required even for a dream to exist. (laughs) Then it needs to exist in the light of a consciousness. So you could well say, and this is getting closer to the truth, that everything that happens in the world, in your life or in the world at large, is the dream that the one consciousness is having, including yourself, including your person. That vast consciousness is infinite, it can have dreams, dream that includes an infinite number of scenarios and entities and beings and life forms, all, all coming together and in this web of interconnectedness and appearing as the vast dream that appears as the entire universe and what happens in it. Consciousness dreaming and consciousness dreams So that all these things in the dream, which are part of the one consciousness, seem to have an independent existence. They don't realize that they are part of the dream of the one consciousness until they wake up. And they wake up in the dream. And in the dream, the one consciousness wakes up after a few million years of dreaming, or billion years. And the one consciousness wakes up in the middle of the dream and says, I know who I am now, I am consciousness. (laughs) And then you look around and it's quite a nice dream. It's quite interesting. So when you realize that you are consciousness, the universe realizes itself through you after a few billion years of dreaming and creating this incredible multiplicity of life forms in the universe which is dreamlike, consciousness wakes up and becomes aware of itself. You could say God becomes aware of itself in this dimension. Words can only give you an approximation. I cannot explain the universe in words. I mean, it would be absurd to even try. So whatever I say is like, it's a bit like this, or it's a bit like that, that's not it. The, The words could not express it, I mean, I've said it before. When you speak, it's just a few sounds produced by the vocal cords, plus air pressure produced by the tongue. So the rest, the rest is the five vowels. A, I, E, O, U, R, O, E, O. So you you put these together, a little bit of air pressure and a few sounds produced by the vocal cords and you are trying to explain the meaning of the universe. But you can give an, a hint, uh, that's all, an, an approximation. Or <laughs> <laughs> the same thing, of course, on paper, just a, f- a few symbols, scribbles, print, printed page on a computer screen. No, of course, you cannot encapsulate the secret of the universe, but one can get a sense of what it is, and then th- there is a deeper knowing that cannot really be expressed in through language or words or any other symbol. You like to watch
0: new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu.
1: And so the reason why I am pointing to it with words now and oh you are ready to hear this and you are ready to experience, to realize that within yourself, this awakening of consciousness. And in that there is a deep, you kind of know what is at the heart of the universe. But could you explain it? No, you can give a few hints. If you are poetically inclined, you might write a poem about it. Or if you are musically inclined, you might write a musical piece that points to it. It's not it, it points to it. All these things can only point to it. Or you're an artist or you may dance and point to it (laughs) through your dance. (laughs) But when you become aware of yourself as consciousness, you realize what lies at the heart of the universe. Because the heart, meaning the innermost dimension of yourself, the core, the heart, is when you find that within yourself, that is the heart of the universe because you are a microcosm of the entire universe. So to explore the secret of the universe, you will not find it, although I love science fiction and I love spaceships, but you won't find the secret of the universe by traveling out there to explore the last, what is it? Space, the last frontier, frontier yes. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the last frontier is the inner space, but the outer space is very interesting, but you won't find the heart of the universe out there. So it doesn't mean never go there. That's. That's one dimension of human existence is the outward dimension. But the secret of the universe, you can only find that within yourself, what is it that lies at the, what is the essence behind it all? The essence behind it all is that one thing that is not mentioned when you read books about cosmology, you read books by famous scientists trying to figure out the mystery of the universe and the galaxies and the black holes, and you can read these books and often you find the greatest mystery of the universe. They never mentioned once. You can have these books and read the entire book without the word consciousness ever appearing once in the whole entire book. That's about figuring out the secret of the universe. And the greatest mystery of the universe, far greater than any number of galaxies, the greatest mystery of the universe and the greatest miracle is that the universe is conscious. (laughs) And to ignore that and try to figure out what the secret of the universe is, you ignore the most obvious thing that's right, not just in front of your nose, but behind your nose. and you, you try to figure out what the great mystery is of the universe, well, y- you forget the, the most important factor which is yourself, your innermost being, because you're looking so much out there, trying to figure it all out, and you overlook the fact that the secret, you, you already carry it within you, the secret of the universe. <laughs> it's easy to overlook the consciousness that you are because Sense, perceptions, thoughts, and emotions are so noisy and clamor for your attention. Ah, Think, you need to think about this thing. Oh, look at me. Look at this is so important, this situation. Look what he just did. Are you going to do something about it? Yes, I need to do something about it. (laughs) And then another thought and emotion comes in. Everything demands your attention all the time. Thoughts demand your attention. Other people demand your attention. The uh, incoming email demands your attention. Another Facebook posting demands your attention. A text message is coming in demanding your attention. And then there's a the traffic to cope with. And then you're running late already. <laughs> so it's so easy to overlook because the gravitational pull both of the external world and the world of thought and emotion is so enormous that it's not surprising that people lose themselves totally in the world of form. (laughs) And then they start believing that the solution to everything must be found in the world of form. They just need to look harder. And then you get that restlessness of person who is never at ease anywhere because trying to figure something out. They're really trying to figure out how to get to a place where they can be at peace. So they need to get this done first. Let me first do this. And then the next thing, you have to deal with this now. And the only thing I have to achieve this and I'll be okay, I think. Never get there because then something else demands your attention. And when you deal with this, you just sort it on one situation, another one collapses behind you describing ordinary existence, and not surprising that people overlook this very gentle but incredibly powerful thing that that is the, at the core of who you are because your attention gets continuously, you get hypnotized by everything, you get hypnotized by every situation, by every thought that comes in, by every emotion. And so you're always in, identified with this and that and reactive to this or that. And of course, then you get, people get very exhausted with life. They get tired of life, can't take it anymore. So this overlooking is important because when you realize that there is something vital that you tend to, or until recently, you have always overlooked, and what is that? You overlook the very thing that makes it possible for the world that you experience to exist. The the very thing or no thing that makes it possible for you to think, to experience anything, and that's consciousness. So the moment you become aware of consciousness and that has always been there, but you always overlooked it. Another way of putting it is become aware of your own presence. You become aware of yourself, not as a historical, Person, a person with a history, but become aware of yourself at a deeper level, become aware of yourself as a conscious presence. And that had always been there, but it was continuously overlooked because other things seem to be so important. And even for humans who are awakening into this now, they still experience being hypnotized and completely distracted easily by other things. Even if you're already awakening, you can still find that a relatively unimportant situation can draw you in completely. (laughs) And again, you forgot who you are because that's what it is. When you get upset about anything, you have forgotten who you are essentially. So self remembering, I would say, be aware of your own presence and practice that First, the easiest practice is when you're in nature or or perceiving anything around nature. So you become aware of the perceiving presence and letting go of labeling, unless you need the label to explain something to somebody, but otherwise you walk around, you watch the ocean, you watch trees, the sand here, the sky, even if it's gray, let go of the thought Oh no, not another June gloom day. <laughs> Let go of the thought and just be the presence f- behind your sense perceptions. That's the easiest practice. It's also, you can practice with an animal, a dog or cat also to just be present. This is why people love being with dogs and cats because they don't stimulate your complicating thinking mind. They are simple creatures they are conscious, but pre-thought, they don't have an opinion about you. He just <laughs> responds to the present moment. And <laughs> humans are much more difficult to stay present with, you might have noticed. The natural world is easier to be present with. And as you perceive, and you might even do things in the natural world. You may do gardening, you may be walking, you may, whatever, and you can still be there as, as a presence more than a person. There may be a bit of a person too, because occasionally you have thoughts, you may not be able to remain, nor do you need to in thoughtless awareness for long stretches of time, but predominantly be there, the presence, and then the person occasionally will come in. Of course, a thought might say, I wonder what's for dinner tonight. Or it might say, oh, that's a nice tree, I wonder what that's called, but it's not really that important right now, what that's called. And then you let go of that thought. And so there's more experiencing without thought than through thought. The two fundamental ways of experiencing the world through thought and conceptual knowledge and without thought and conceptual knowledge, which is awareness or presence. Most humans don't know that. Why don't they teach that at school that there are two fundamental ways of experiencing things? One is through thought and so on, and one is through simple looking, listening, hearing, being present with. Shouldn't that be even more important than being able to count from one to a hundred or to be able to write or read? The most fundamental thing, the possibility that there is another consciousness in you that's possible rather than just the thinking and the, but at school all they stimulate, unless it's it's an alternative school, all they stimulate is from a very early age or the conceptual mind only and the continuous doing through the conceptual mind, never being, doing, doing, thinking, thinking, adding more and more concepts And the best students are the ones who are the quickest thinkers, not those who are the most profound thinkers, because to be a profound thinker means there are moments of stillness. Otherwise, you are not a profound thinker if you're always thinking. If you're always thinking, you're a superficial thinker. Profound thinking doesn't really exist. All it means is you have spaces of no thought. And if you have spaces of no thought, then you're thinking becomes more inspired. It is inspired by this the depths of awareness. <laughs> and so, but at school, these children who are slower because they go deeper, they're encouraged to let go of that and think more, accumulate knowledge. Albert Einstein until up to the age of five, he was so slow because he was naturally, there were spaces in him. He wouldn't give fast answers because you could ask a simple question and he would just, hmm. And in the meantime, all the other children all went, I know, I know. But the question probably had, a, there was a much more profound answer possible, but he needed to go within for that. All this is not recognized. It hasn't been for a long time, but we are getting back, we're now rediscovering something, whether the people in the past had glimpses of knowledge of the importance of, stillness and awareness. For example, the importance that ancient tribal societies give to the elders, because the elders represent the deeper dimension of life. And again, there was a reason why the elders were important. The elders represented the dimension of stillness. Now, what what function do elders have in our society? None, because they are just put away into homes and then they sit there and watch television. Unfortunately, so there's another huge area where new structures need to be created. If some of you may want to do that, uh, I would encourage you. Old age is a wonderful opportunity for surrender, deepening, becoming aware of yourself as presence, but it's better not to wait until you're old. Because uh, it may be too late, because many old people don't realize who they are just because they get old. They get just more entrenched in their patterns. So instead of becoming like this and the ageless consciousness shining through, they become cranky. <laughs> 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 They've been in resistance even before they got old, but that well, they're old, they're even more in resistance. I don't want that, no. That's a pity. Miss the opportunity of old age. You like to watch new
0: stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time.
1: you're reaching the heart of the universe. Whether or not you can say anything about it doesn't matter. Consciousness, the greatest mystery of the universe, and you embody it. (laughs) What could be a greater mystery than the fact that the universe is conscious? So now let's uh, see if we can enjoy the presence that you are, the stillness, We'll just go on for a little while, see how, what it feels like. And I may occasionally say a few words while we meditate, which may be helpful to some of you, just to wake you yeah. up in case you drift. The challenge when, uh, in meditation is th- that you are drifting below thought. Of course, when you drift far enough below thought, you fall asleep. But real meditation, of course, is mm-hmm. being alert and awake So alert and so awake that thoughts just don't come in anymore. But the real meditation is choiceless awareness. So sometimes you need this first and then when the mind has stopped, then you go like that. Then so you're not focused on any one thing in particular anymore. It's just expansive awareness. You can even look around in that state. I can look around this room without a single thought in my head, so can you, probably some of you. You look around this room without a single thought in your head and be aware simultaneously of your surroundings and your own presence as consciousness. Another way of putting it, you can be aware of the stillness underneath your sense perceptions, that's consciousness. You can meditate with your eyes closed. Most people do it with their eyes closed. You can also occasionally open your eyes and still remain in the state of presence. So that one important step for meditators is to realize that they don't need to keep their eyes closed to be present because if you associate being present with your eyes closed, <laughs> the moment you open your eyes, you're not present again. <laughs> Initially, it can be helpful to have your eyes closed. If you cannot keep thoughts at bay simply by choosing not to think, as we sit here, you will need to put your attention on something, and I suggest feeling the aliveness in the inner body, or be aware of your breathing flowing in, the air flowing in and out of the body, or even simultaneously be aware of the aliveness in your body and be aware of the fact that you're breathing. So it's just that awareness that can help you to be still, to be free of thinking. When you hear the bell once, it's not the end of the meditation. I just ring it to remind you to be present. You're drifting off into thinking, put your attention back into the body Now open your eyes and continue your meditation with your eyes open. So just being present with your sense perceptions. Some people tell me that sometimes I have to demonstrate the arising of the inner space without thinking, I sometimes go like that. So in between the left hand and the right hand, there's a space of no thinking. So normally in the unconscious thinking state, there's no space, just one thought after another. And then you become alert enough to create a space between thoughts. And people have told me that they actually find it helpful occasionally in daily life when nobody's looking to hold your hands like that, because that's an outer representation of an inner state. And it can be helpful to have the outer representation as an anchor, at least as you practice the thoughtless state, to have that as an anchor for thoughtless. So it's good that this talk is boring that leaves more room for the awareness of space. Music, when it has a spiritual dimension, also has spaces in it or an underlying spaciousness. Some visual art also has spaciousness in it. And when you look at it, you may find there isn't much there. For example, certain Asian paintings, a little tree in a corner, a little distant mountain, a tiny human standing somewhere and 85% of the painting is empty space. It might be the sky or just empty space. And you look at it and if you really look at it, you become aware that the essence of the painting is not what's there to be seen, but the essence is what's not there, space. And so looking at that can be a realization of your own spaciousness. It's so liberating to realize the essence of yourself as stillness, space. You are so much more than the little me, more than your personal history, successes and failures, the successes that turned into failures, the failures that turned into successes. One little practice I would recommend, take five minutes or so. You can practice here, of course, but at home, everybody has five minutes. Don't believe your mind when it tells you you don't have five minutes. And the practice is sit somewhere outside or indoors for five minutes and practice perception without interference of thinking, which means you just look around wherever you are. You may look at occasionally Your gaze rests upon one thing for a little while and then you look on. Then you take in the totality of whatever surrounds you. And as you do, you're aware simultaneously of what you are seeing, but without calling it anything. And you're aware of the stillness that is your essence, That's the background to the visual sense perceptions, like a canvas. And so this is a blank canvas. And whatever you see is the painting on the canvas that appears and disappears, appears and disappears. But the canvas is the spacious stillness. It's a beautiful way of perceiving the world. And another practice similar to this, particularly good when you're outside, but also indoors, sit for five minutes again, and be very alert, pay attention to whatever you are hearing, alert listening, the slightest sounds. No sound is better or worse than another. Just every sound is received, beautiful bird song, a motorbike, driving past but you are again, the canvas for the sound this time and it's all just registered and you have no preference. Any sound is fine. And you're aware of yourself as the presence, the listening presence, the alertness that makes the hearing possible. And again, as much as possible, no mental labeling. The subtlest sounds are the best that wake because they require your greatest alertness to some distant sound. So if you sit in a very still place in nature, perhaps, see how far you can hear. So sitting and sitting without leaning back is better. There's a natural alertness that comes as you sit upright. And then you go, first the visual practice, you may do that. Some other time you do five minutes auditory presence practice. So, it's good.
0: Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening.